0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm wondering if you have any information about the status of at-home testing. How long is the COVID test accurate for if I take it on Friday Can I still be sure that I'm free of COVID on Monday? What should we do about visitors
1: after the baby is born? We've been living with this new coronavirus for months now. And to be honest, there's still a lot we don't know about it. We're at a crucial time in this pandemic. We know that some states are slowly reopening while others are pausing those plans as coronavirus cases now rise in most of the country. I think it's safe to say that we're all trying to be careful We're all trying to be cautious with this virus, while also trying to figure out how to live our lives. As a result, we have questions, lots of questions. So in this episode, I'm gonna try to do my best to answer some of them. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's Chief Medical Correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact Versus Fiction.
0: Hi, Dr. Gupta. As a nurse, I've been reading studies that indicate sometimes the virus can be transmitted through aerosolized particles, which can travel much farther than six feet. If that's the case, shouldn't we, as healthcare professionals, be updating our public health message to reflect the standards of airborne precautions?
1: This has been a big topic in the news lately, and many experts do agree. Two weeks ago, over 200 scientists, in fact, signed an open letter urging the World Health Organization to acknowledge the role of airborne transmission in COVID-19 and to revise its public health message accordingly. Now, you might be thinking, didn't we already know that COVID-19 spreads in the air? Isn't that the reason we wear masks? That's true, but this is a little complicated. There are different ways that COVID-19 can spread. When we breathe or talk or sneeze or cough, we're releasing droplets that carry the virus particles into the air but the size of those droplets can vary. Large droplets will fall onto surfaces rapidly, generally within six feet from an infected individual. The virus spreads when those droplets land on another person's nose or mouth, or when someone touches a surface where the droplets have landed. But smaller droplets may function differently. They can stay in the air longer, they can travel much further than six feet, and these smaller droplets can be inhaled more deeply into the lungs. Think of it like a spray bottle versus an aerosol can. Think about what comes out of those two different types of bottles. Now, currently, the World Health Organization states that droplets are the primary way that COVID-19 is transmitted. But experts say that there is increasing evidence that airborne viral particles are responsible for a lot of the spread as well. They say that the current public health guidance, which focuses on hand washing and social distancing, may not be enough then to protect people from airborne transmission. Experts are particularly worried about indoor environments. That's places like schools and restaurants and bars and nursing homes. Now, in response to the letter, the World Health Organization says it has been reviewing the evidence and acknowledged that airborne transmission of COVID-19 can't be ruled out, especially in crowded indoor spaces. Either way... Masks and social distancing are still going to be necessary, but the experts urge public health agencies to also think about methods to mitigate aerosol transmission. They suggest things like circulating outdoor air, minimizing recirculated air, and possibly turning off the A.C. and opening windows as much as possible. The big thing, as you might guess, avoid overcrowding, especially in public transportation and public building situations.
0: Hi, Dr. Gupta. This is Kirsten from Georgia. My question is about testing. How long is the COVID test accurate for if I take it on Friday? Can I still be sure that I'm free of COVID on Monday?
1: Yeah, I think about this question as well. Uh, first of all, it does depend on the type of test you take. You might already know this, but the first type of test we're talking about is a viral test. That's going to tell you whether you are currently infected with COVID-19. That's the swab test, either in your nose or down your throat, or they might collect saliva from you. With this test, the results only apply to that point in time when you gave the sample. So if you took the test on a Friday and the results came back negative, it means that on Friday you were COVID-19 free. But anything can happen after that. The CDC states that someone infected with COVID-19 could test negative initially one day and then test positive later as the infection develops. The second type of test is an antibody test. This test is gonna look for antibodies in your blood. Again, keep in mind, the virus test is either from the swab or from the saliva. The antibody test is from your blood. Now, it may take a few weeks for your body to produce antibodies after a COVID-19 infection. So if you test positive, it means that you had COVID-19 in the past and you probably have some immunity to the virus but everyone is still being very cautious about these results because we don't know how long those antibodies last. As a result, we don't know how long that immunity lasts. For both types of tests, we must also be careful because the results are not 100% accurate. There could be false positives and false negatives. No matter the test result, you gotta be careful in protecting ourselves and others from getting the virus by wearing a mask and by physical distancing it can go a long way. I'm very curious as to why the coronavirus hit Nick Cordero so hard.
0: Did he have any underlying issues that caused the virus to be
1: worse for him? For those of you who don't know him, Nick Cordero was a Broadway actor who died from COVID-19 last week. His death was a huge loss to the theater world and beyond. It's also highlighted how much we still don't know about this virus. The thing is, Nick was just 41 years old, and according to his wife, he had no pre-existing conditions. We know that the virus's death rate is highest in older people, specifically people over the age of 80. But there are cases of younger people who become really sick, who end up in the hospital. The death rate for someone in their 40s is around 3% of confirmed deaths, which is a lot lower than the rate of 15% for those over 80. Despite the low death rate for his age and the fact that he didn't have any underlying conditions, Cordero was in the hospital with coronavirus-related complications for three months. He spent weeks on a ventilator. He was put in a medically-induced coma. In April, he had to have his leg amputated because he had issues with blood clotting. About 19% of people with COVID-19 end up in the hospital. 6% go to the ICU. On average, people who end up in the ICU stay in the hospital between 10 and 13 days. The point is that it's not just about living or dying. For people who get sick, it can be a prolonged hospital course. And you can understand why the severity of Cordero's illness has shaken so many. So the short answer to this question is, I don't know why the virus hit Nick Cordero so hard. No one does yet. We are still in the early stages of dealing with and learning about this virus. There is still so much we don't know about it which is why it's important to take precautions, especially at a time when most states in the country are seeing a rise in cases. And for some, you're starting to see a shift in demographics as more and more younger people are testing positive. We all have to behave like we have the virus.
0: I'm wondering if you have any information about the status of at-home testing. Is that something that could happen in the future?
1: Well, a lot of people don't realize that home test kits are actually available right now. As of today, there are a small handful that have received EUA. That stands for Emergency Use Authorization from the Food and Drug Administration. Now, getting an EUA doesn't mean that these tests are officially FDA-approved. What it means is that the FDA is allowing an unapproved product to be used during a public health crisis. This is because full FDA approval is a much more rigorous and time-consuming process. Now, these kits each work differently, but on the whole... They're usually shipped by manufacturers to your home and allow you to take nasal swabs or saliva samples. You then ship it back to labs that will then test the sample. Now, a couple things to remember about these home kits. You do still have to send it to a lab. You're not going to get a diagnosis right there in your home. Also, not all of these kits are available in every state, and some do require a doctor's prescription. Big question. Are these tests accurate? Well, If they've been issued an emergency use authorization by the FDA, then yes, they're fairly reliable, but keep in mind that these kits are not fully authorized by the FDA. Also, watch out for phony home kits or those that don't have an FDA emergency use authorization. That's gonna require a little bit of research on your part, or maybe talk to your doctor if you're thinking about taking one of these tests.
0: Hi, Sanjay. I'm pregnant and due with a baby in October. What should we do about
1: visitors after the baby is born? First of all, congratulations, and I'm sure you can't wait till October when that baby arrives. You should know that on average, as you probably have already realized, children aren't as severely affected by the virus. But an important thing to remember is that although it's rare, babies under a year old are going to be at higher risk for severe forms of COVID-19 compared to older children. That's because their immune systems still aren't fully developed yet. They also have smaller airways, which makes them more likely to develop breathing issues. I know that having a baby can be both the most wonderful and the most stressful period of anyone's life. You want the people you love to see your baby to be part of this special time. So it's going to be tough in the short term. The safest thing for your newborn is not to have any visitors. You can talk to your pediatrician about how long you need to limit visitors, but keep in mind, even in a normal pandemic-free world, Doctors will typically tell you to limit visitors to healthy friends and family and always have them wash their hands before touching the baby. In a COVID-19 world, you got to do that times 10. Now, I know it's not realistic to lock you and your baby up until there's a vaccine for this virus, but think about what makes sense based on your situation and where you live. The most important thing is to limit your guests. Don't throw a party. The fewer the people, the better. If possible, consider seeing your visitors outside. Make sure that no one is showing any symptoms of illness, that everyone washes their hands, and of course, keep physical contact to a minimum. And wear a mask. Be safe, be careful, be thoughtful. And I think you'll find that right balance in terms of living with this virus. As cases continue to spike across the country, it's important that scientists and public health officials continue to learn and adapt and improve our response to this virus. Nobody knows everything. Nobody knew everything about this virus from the very start. And for all of us, we have to keep doing our part. Remember, we're all in this together. We still got a long road ahead, but we're going to get through it together. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might include them in our next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.